So as I said, my name is Kyle Brenneman. I serve as the worship director here, and uh, I'm excited about this morning. First of all, I don't know if he's in the room or not, but Izzy, thank you. That was, that was great, leading us to uh, see Jesus and remind us of his faithfulness. Thank you. Um, yeah, we've been in this series, this One Another series, over the past several weeks, and it's been such a good challenge about how we're to live in community with one another, how we're to treat each other. And this morning... There's something interesting about the, the one another that we come across, and that it, it comes after this repeated warning. And in life, sometimes there are these repeated warnings that come up, right? Like we go to the doctor, and every time it seems that there's some comment made about needing to eat more vegetables. You know, this repeated warning, right? Or uh, I've taught a couple classes at Grace over the years, and, and if you've had me, you've probably experienced this, where I've given repeated warnings about this will be on the final. So pay attention, study it, know it, right? These repeated warnings that come up throughout life. And those warnings, you know, we can ignore them if we want, but it's to our own peril. It's to our own danger if we continue to ignore what people in authority over us or who know better keep warning us about. Well, this morning, one another crops up in one of those types of passages. It's found in Hebrews chapter 3. Now, the whole book of Hebrews is essentially saying that Jesus is better. That's the big picture idea of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. He's better than everything. And then here at the beginning of chapter 3, Jesus is held up as being better than Moses. It essentially says Moses is great. Jesus is greater. And if you think about it, Moses is the man that God used to set his people free from slavery and lead them out of Egypt. But Jesus, Jesus is the one who sets us free from sin and leads us out of the grave. Moses is great, but Jesus is greater. Here in in Hebrews chapter 3, it goes on and, and the writer then quotes from Psalm 95. Now Psalm 95 is a psalm that David wrote about things that happened during the life of Moses, keeping with that, that theme of Moses in chapter 3. And those things are recorded in the book of Exodus and Numbers. So let me slow down and put that in sequence here. We have the writer of Hebrews quoting David about a historical account that's found in Exodus with Moses. So what happened back in Moses' day? Well, God had Moses lead his people out of Egypt. He miraculously delivered them from slavery. And then he miraculously parted the Red Sea so his people could cross and get away from Pharaoh's army who was coming back to get them. And then God miraculously provided food for them every single day in the middle of the desert when there was no food around. That gets us through Exodus chapter 16 and Exodus chapter 17. God's people at this place called Mirabah. And in Mirabah, there was no water. And God's people started to complain. They started to grumble, saying, we would have been better off staying in Egypt as opposed to dying out here. And Moses, he started to fear for his life. Apparently, them getting a drink was just too hard for this God who had gotten them out of slavery and parted the Red Sea and feeds them every morning. Water's just out of his league in their minds. But God, in spite of their complaining, he shows up again. And he miraculously gives them water out of a rock. Then in Numbers 14, 
God's people, with Moses still leading them, they get to the edge of the land that God promised would be theirs. They're at the very edge. And so they send in some spies to scope it out, to see what it is that awaits them on the other side of this river. And the spies come back and they say, guys, this land is awesome. It has everything. But it also has really big cities with really big walls and really big armies with really big dudes. So if we go in there, we're going to get crushed. We will get crushed if we take them on. And so word of this spread through the camp and God's people, they get scared. And they said in Numbers chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, they said, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And they start a plot on how to kill Moses. Once again, they didn't trust that God would take care of them. That God would fulfill his promises to them. Because deep down, they didn't really believe God. And as soon as some obstacle presented itself, it showed. Their lack of faith showed. And so in response, God says to these people, he says, fine, fine. I'll I'll let you have it your way. You don't trust me to take you into the land I promised you. After all that I've brought you through, you don't trust me? Okay. If you don't want it, I won't give it to you. And so God's people wandered around the desert for 40 more years until that entire generation died off. And God gave it to their children. They got to enter into the promised land. Now think about where this shows up in the Bible for a second, right? This happened in Moses' day. This is in Exodus and Numbers. And that is right here in your Bible. Right here at the very beginning. And that account David, 500 years later, in the book of Psalms, in the middle of the Bible, thinks it's important enough to reiterate, to say, like, guys, don't forget this story. A thousand years after that, the writer of Hebrews, here at the end of the Bible, brings up that same thing to warn us of something. This repeated warning that we need to hear because history repeats itself. We as humans, we don't learn very well from those who come before us. We make the same mistakes as previous generations over and over and over again. We don't graduate or move on or move beyond or become so enlightened that we don't have the same sinful struggles as those who have come before us. But we are too blind to see it sometimes. And so God puts these messages in his word over and over and over. And we need to listen and take heed to what it says. And it's with this backdrop that we get to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Now, please follow along in your Bibles. The verses will be on the screen as well. Uh, But if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one before you leave. You know, there are people in the back or on your way out. Just ask someone and we will give you a Bible. You can take it with you. You can keep it. It's it's all yours. This morning, 
Hebrews chapter 3. We'll read verses 12 and 14. We'll circle back to verse 13 in a minute. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So with the backdrop of God's people in Exodus continuing to lack faith, this is what the writer of Hebrews says to us. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That phrase, sinful, unbelieving heart, that's a heavy, heavy phrase. Because sin is what separates us from God. And it's by faith, by belief, that we receive God's grace and forgiveness. So a sinful, unbelieving heart, that's as bad of a situation you can be in. It's not just a little messed up. It's saying... You are separated from God because of this heart, and you lack the faith that's required for God to pour out his grace upon you. The writer of Hebrews is pleading with those reading this, make sure that none of you walks away from God. Brothers and sisters, my family, make sure you cling to Jesus until the end, because it's Jesus who loved us enough to be mocked and beaten for us. It's Jesus who loved us enough to be nailed to a cross. He loved us enough to take our sin, to take our pride, our lies, our prejudice, our lust, our bitter thoughts, our pain-inflicting words. He took all of our filth upon himself and experienced his Father's rejection for us. Cling to him. He died for us. And cling to him not only because he's the one who loves us, because he's the one who's powerful enough to bust out of death three days later and to take us into eternal life with him. Cling to him because that's where life is found. Hebrews 3 is saying, don't forget that. Don't forget like the Israelites forgot how God delivered them from the Red Sea, how God saved them out of slavery and how he fed them in the desert and how he gave them water out of a rock and how he led them into the promised land. Don't forget how God has been so faithful to you. And return that with lack of faith and turn away from him. This is a danger we all face. And thankfully the writer of Hebrews doesn't just say, so don't do that. But in verse 13, he gives us a tool to combat turning away from the living God. Here's what it says. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, this week, as I was looking at this passage, after a while, that verse struck me as odd. And as I thought about it more, as it's not, because it's not what I would have expected, right? Like, the author of Hebrews is saying, make sure nobody walks away from the living God. So what I would expect is this, like, so guard your heart. So watch out for other people that they don't lead you astray. Or it's a one another series, so watch out for one another. 
point out where others are veering off course. But no. It says encourage one another. If we want to help other people follow Jesus, look for what is good and tell it to them. Let them know what is good. I heard a pastor once talking about discernment and how sometimes like, people claim that they are discerning and by that they mean they're really good at finding what's wrong with things. This pastor was like, that's not discernment. That, that's the easiest thing in the world. This world is sinful. It's broken. It's falling apart. People are hurting each other daily. Like, you really think it's going to be hard to find something that's wrong and point that out? He's like, you want discernment. Look for what's good. If you can see what's good, then you're discerning. You can see where there's slow growth in a person. You can see how someone is self-sacrificially serving. You can see how there's hope in the middle of tragedy for people. Be an encourager. And that's what God is saying. That's what helps keep us close to him. Keeps us from turning from him. And who is it that we're supposed to encourage? It may seem like this like, obvious question, but think about it for a second. It only says one another. In verse 12, it does say brothers and sisters, which, you know, if the encouragement is to keep us from turning away from the living God, that means you have to turn to him in the first place. So it's about those in the community of faith. Those are brothers and sisters. But outside of that, there are no qualifiers. It's one another. It doesn't say encourage those who are hurting. And it doesn't say encourage those you see turning away from Jesus or getting a hard heart. Encourage one another, every one. In part, that's because we don't know who's having a good day and who's having a bad day. Like, when I see you, I have no idea if you spent two hours this morning reading your Bible and praying and you were just flying high on Jesus, or if you're carrying the shame of what you did last night. I don't know. But I'm called to encourage you. I don't know if you received news this week that is the best news you've heard in your life. I also don't know if someone has wronged you in the most deep and hurtful way possible this week. I don't know. And so we're called to encourage everyone. And when? When are we called to encourage everyone? It gives us that answer too. It says we are called to encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today. Now, I found this funny. That emphasis there on as long as it's called today, it kind of made me laugh this week as I was thinking about it because well, this makes a lot more sense if we think about the fact that God is our father and we're his kids. So here's a, here's a little scene for you. Ready? Dad walks into the room. Kids, get your shoes on. It's time to go. And then he walks around the house turning off every light that's left on. The kids, what do they do? Nothing. 
They keep coloring. They keep playing with their toys. They keep looking at their phones. They keep doing They don't move, right? Two minutes later, dad circles back around. And he's like, uh, guys, why aren't your shoes on? Oh, I didn't know you meant now. Right? No one else experiences it? Okay. Maybe it's just my house. But uh, this, in this verse, that's what God's saying. He's, he's guarding against that. Encourage each one another daily. And in case you're confused by the word daily, I mean today. Like now. Today. God calls us to encourage one another daily, and he gives us opportunities. He wouldn't, he wouldn't tell us to do this and then not give us people to encourage. Not give us opportunity to encourage one another. Every single day, we are able to encourage everyone around us. And that helps us stay faithful to Jesus. Now, you may have noticed we skipped over something kind of important in this. A fundamental question. What is encouragement? Well, the Greek word here is parakaleo. And it has a pretty broad usage. A lot like our word encourage, right? Like a dentist might encourage us to floss, right? They urge us to do this. Or a police officer might encourage us to slow down. They urge us to do something. But it can also mean affirm, like to give praise for a job well done, or to comfort. You know, the same word paracleo is used in Matthew 5, where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be encouraged. And one thing that helps us understand this is what, what this looks like, is that paracleo is actually a compound word. The second half of the word, kaleo, means to invite or summon or call someone. The first half, para, means with, by, or alongside. So you put those together and you have paracleo, to invite alongside, to call, to be with. Encouragement is calling people to be with you, to come closer to you. It's a relational thing. It's a call to you as a person, not just kind words. So if you really want to get closer with your friends, if you really want to get closer with your kids or your spouse, encourage them. Take the step to encourage them. Look for things and ways that you can encourage them with because it's an invitation to be closer. And you think about it in this context of Hebrews chapter 3. If you invite me alongside you as you follow Jesus, that means I'm coming closer to Jesus with you. I'm not turning away from the living God, but you're calling me, inviting me to come with you towards Jesus. There's not a sinful, unbelieving heart there anymore. Moving towards Jesus, having faith in Him. 
battling the deceitfulness of sin by getting closer to him. I think the, the best way to understand what God's kind of encouragement looks like is to look at the one that Jesus called the paraclete. Paracleo, paraclete. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the encourager. And if you get that name from Jesus, you must be good at it. So how does the Holy Spirit encourage us? He helps, he is with us. He is with us. He is present with us when we're at our best and we're at our worst. He reminds us of what Jesus said and how much God loves us. His encouragement is always true and good and trustworthy. He doesn't lie or mislead us. We can trust his encouragements. And he comforts us when we're afflicted. He, he leads and nudges us towards what's good. He also testifies with our spirit. He affirms us when we are on the right path. And he warns us when we're headed in the wrong direction. But he doesn't take over. He doesn't control us, but he empowers us and equips us. And ultimately, he points us back to Jesus. And while he does all this, he does it with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he brings that about in us. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing as he encourages us, to encourage us. And so if we want to model for that, look at him. Look at how he is leading you and follow that lead. And, and think about this. God has put the Holy Spirit within us. When we place our faith in Jesus, God seals us with the Holy Spirit and places the Spirit within us to indwell us. So if the Holy Spirit is within us and we're following his leading, what kind of people are we going to be? The encourager is in us, leading us to encourage others. But it doesn't always happen that way. At least not for me. And for me, at least, the battle isn't between encourage, being encouraging and discouraging. It's not like I go up to someone and I'm thinking, should I encourage them or should I insult them? For me, it's a wrestling between encouraging someone or keeping quiet. Not doing anything. Ignoring the Holy Spirit's promptings. And I was thinking of reasons why, why I may not encourage others like I should. And to be honest, it was an embarrassingly easy list to come up with. Because I've made so many excuses about why I don't need to or why it's not that important. Sometimes it's just I don't notice. I don't notice. I don't, I don't slow down and, and I'm too preoccupied with my own stuff to see other people and to see the good that's in them and the good that they're doing. Or sometimes it's just out of sight, out of mind. You know, Grace students are back with us. We're excited to have you guys. Enjoy your cookies. But with them coming back, that also means we just sent a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds out to other schools in different places. 
just because they aren't here physically among us doesn't mean that we can't be an encouragement to them. Send them something. An encouraging note. A care package. Starbucks gift card. Chloe Hoskins, she is the woman who sang up here today. She has been a pleasure to serve with. She's joyful and she is awesome at singing, as you can tell. She loves Jesus. And she's leaving this week for nine months to go serve people around the world, to show them the love of Jesus, to share Jesus with them. And on, this, on her travels, she'll have limited access to communication, to emails, to, to Facebook, or anything like that. But can you imagine how encouraging it would be for her to open her email after six weeks and having two dozen emails encouraging her, telling her to not grow weary of doing good, to say, hey, we're praying for you. Other times, you know, I, I, I get this thought of like, I should encourage that person, but then I talk myself out of it. Maybe, you know, of all people, they don't need encouragement from me. I mean, who am I? Or I don't really know what to say, so, eh. Or they probably don't even remember me. It's been so long or know who I am. Or maybe sometimes, or maybe you're just fried. Maybe the environment at work or at home, like there's just nothing ever good enough there and you are on empty. You are beaten down and starved of encouragement yourself and so you just have nothing to give. Then sometimes there's that fear of awkwardness. Maybe I'm just the only awkward one here, but where you like encourage someone and then there's this weird like, okay, so now what do we talk about? thank you for investing in my life. Like when you came and helped me at that time, like it meant so much to me. Thank you for how, I'm grateful for how God used you in my life. So, I hear pumpkin spice lattes are back. Like, like it just can be this awkward moment, but And so I, I excuse myself from encouraging someone because of that. Then there are times we feel like it's been too long. Like the moment's passed. I probably should have said something, but now it'll just be weird. Not that long ago, I was in a conversation with some people, and I knew that one of the people in the room was really struggling with the conversation. The way that the conversation was going, like, I knew that it was hard for them to be there. And they sat there quietly through it all. And, and while this went on, I had this deep feeling that I needed to tell them afterwards that, like, I know that was hard for you. But let me encourage you. Well, I wasn't able to do it there in person because they left early. And um, so I figured I'd write them an email or shoot them a text or something. And, but I didn't get to it that day. And then I didn't get to it the next day, or the next day, or the next day. And the next thing I knew, 
I thought of it again. It was like two, two and a half weeks later. And I was like, you know what? It's weird now. I'm just going to let it go. Not a big deal. I'm sure it's fine, whatever. Several weeks after that, over a month after that initial conversation, I happened to be around this person again. And they made a comment about how hard that previous interaction was for them. I had failed them. I couldn't have stopped the initial pain, but I could have acknowledged and come alongside them to say, I know how hard this is. But I didn't. I stayed silent. And because of that, they walked alone with the weight of that first conversation for over a month. I apologized and told them what I would have written or wanted to write and just never got around to. But I still regret not following through the first time. You know, if I sat here and thought about it long enough, I'm pretty sure I could come up with another dozen reasons why I've backed away from encouraging others. But even if we could list them all, that doesn't necessarily motivate us to encourage one another. But when I remember the real value of encouragement, it changes things. You know, most of the time when we think about encouragement, what we think about is making somebody feel good, right? They're struggling, they're, they're maybe like, they did something and, and you want to let them know like, hey, that was good. And we want them to feel good about what they've done or, or feel good about God is with them. But, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong about wanting someone to feel good. But if that's it, I can excuse myself out of that one pretty easily. But if I realize the benefit of my encouragement is that it helps you battle against the deceitfulness of sin. It helps push you and urge you towards Jesus. It helps keep your heart soft towards the living God who sent his son for you. Those are some powerful words God is entrusting to me to pass along. It blows every excuse out of the water when I have the right perspective on what my encouragement does. It tells you, you're not alone. God is with you, and it pushes you towards Jesus. I need to remember that, and that helps me open my mouth and share these things. Because it's more than just about making you feel good. It's about pushing you towards Jesus together. And, but how does this work? How does encouragement help us combat the deceitfulness of sin? Well, sin is deceitful. Sin lies. It makes promises it can't keep and promises of fulfillment and comfort and joy. And sin wants us to believe, like the Israelites did when they were out in the wilderness, that God doesn't really care about them, that he's forgotten about them, that he's walked away. But when we think back to what encouragement is and an invitation to come alongside, it's a clear sign that my brothers and sisters in Christ are with me, reminding me that God is with me me. Because we are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. We are his children. We are his body. And so when you show encouragement to me, it's showing Jesus to me. And saying, come alongside as we walk towards him together. This is such a beautiful thing. 
In part because encouragement is so simple. It's so simple. And God uses it in such powerful ways. God uses our encouragements of each other to help us stay faithful to him and anyone can do it. You don't have to be super educated or super holy, whatever that means, or super wise. Literally, my three-year-old has encouraged me before. She doesn't always put her shoes on the right feet, but God can use her to point me to him and draw me closer to him. This is so important for us to wrap our minds around. Each and every one of us can do this. Each and every one of us is called to do this. And imagine if we all embraced this. If we all embraced the call to encourage one another daily. Can you imagine the depth of relationship and community that that would build? Can you imagine what that would signal to a world that's starved for encouragement? that sees brokenness and pain all over the place, what that would signal to them about what God is like when his people are people that encourage one another, not point out flaws in one another, but encourage one another. Can you imagine what that would be like? We can do this. We can fight sin, the deceitfulness of sin together. By encouraging one another daily and show off how great our God is. And it's simple. Words and actions. It's simple words and actions. You know, when we think of encouragement, we often think of it as encouraging someone for something good. Something good they've done or something uh, good that we've seen in them. And that's great. We should be quick to call those things out. But beyond encouraging people for something, we can also encourage people to something good. Here's what I mean by that. As a worship director, I hate getting text messages early on Sunday mornings. Because it's rarely good news. The vocalist has laryngitis. The drummer broke his hand. The keyboard player forgot she was scheduled and is in Pennsylvania. Several years ago, I'd routinely get texts early on Sunday mornings from someone in the church who wasn't on the worship team. I went back and searched and found one. And it said this. Fight for your authentic heart this morning. Try to eliminate the thoughts about what other people think or don't think. Speak and do whatever the Spirit asks you to. I'm praying for you to be raw as you lead worship of the king and broken as we sing about the one who loved us when we were unlovable and keeps us to himself despite our stench. I'm telling you, as a worship leader, getting that on a Sunday morning, that's encouraging. It reminds me of the perspective I need when I'm leading worship. It also reminds me That he cares about me. Not just how the band sounds. Not just what songs I choose. But he cares about me. That he cares about how my heart is. As I'm leading. It was so helpful. To redirect my heart and mind to Jesus. You know, and that's one of the great things about singing together. Like the Bible elsewhere talks about encouraging one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
It is a great weekly reminder of what God has done and what he said, that he is our living hope. That he has shown us such great mercy. That he's made us clean. That he has been faithful and he continues to be faithful until the very end. These things that we sang this morning, encouragements to us. And ultimately, there's nothing better than God's words to encourage his people. I've had friends randomly text me saying, hey, I thought of you while reading this verse, and I just wanted to pass it along. They're saying, I, I've, I've been spending time with God, and I want to invite you with me to look at this. So follow the Spirit's promptings to do those things. Especially when someone has sinned. When someone has messed up. We can remind them that God still loves them. We can call them to remember that Jesus' blood covers over all of our sins. And that God's grace is greater than all our failings. So we need to encourage with words, but we can't overlook the importance of encouraging others with our actions as well. I know for me, one of my go-tos in this, I say this and I need to get better at not saying it, I think. Um, It's not a bad thing to say, but it's not that helpful. Hey, if you need anything, just let me know. I don't think it's that helpful because I think I could probably count on one hand the number of times someone's actually taken me up on that. And I've said it a lot, probably. I think a better way to encourage through our actions is to be proactive. To get creative, to get thoughtful. To look at someone and say, like, look, I want to encourage you in this way. If you, like, if it's bad, just let me know. But I'm going to do this for you unless you stop me. So instead of saying, to someone who's in the process of moving their parents out of their home and into assisted living. Instead of saying, if there's anything you need, let us know. How about, I'm going to take care of mowing your lawn for the next month so you can focus on caring for your parents. Or what about the family that just got a surprise foster placement or is flying across the world to bring home a child they've adopted? Instead of, hey, whatever we can do, let us know. We'd love to help. How about, look, I'm going to stock your fridge so that when you get home, you don't have to worry about grocery shopping for at least a week. Any requests? These types of things are so encouraging because it shows such a thoughtfulness on our part. That we not only were like, oh yeah, if you need something, but this is something I think might help you. I want to do it for you. I'm going to do it for you. Just tell me, you know, how to get in your house so I can get to your fridge. You know, just three days ago, someone from this church, one of you, brought us a huge pan of ravioli for no reason other than to be an encouragement. And it was delicious. A while back, we were out of town for a few days. And this was during a time that, as a family, we were dealing with some deep hurt and disappointment. 
And while we were gone, a couple people encouraged us by breaking into our house. The first intruder came in and cleaned our entire house from top to bottom. Dusting, vacuuming, mopping, windows, walls, everything. Our house has not been cleaner before that and has not been that clean since. Then someone else, totally on their own, broke in and left right in the middle of our dining room table. They left a huge gift basket for us and little ones for our kids. Among the junk food, there were a bunch of Bible verses written on cards about God's faithfulness and how he's near to the brokenhearted. We've started locking our doors. <laughs> there was another time we were going through something tough as a family and, and some friends of ours ran to the store. They bought a couple tubs of ice cream. They came by our house, gave a little knock-knock, opened the door on their own, like sort of threw it on the floor and said, gotta run, but we love you guys. And then they left. You know, that might not seem like something that draws me closer to Jesus. But it really does. It's not trite when you're going through something hard and somebody lets you know that you're not alone. When a brother or sister in Jesus reminds you that he is with you and he is for you. They were letting us know that they were alongside us in hardship and celebration and just everyday life. It's hard to keep our faith strong sometimes. There's so many reasons to be discouraged. In our personal lives, turn on the news. This world's a broken place and we feel it every single day. So it's easy to see how our faith can waver. And I think part of that is that we can't always see Jesus. We can't physically see him with us or among us or see what he's doing. And we just want him to show up and fix everything. But he hasn't yet. And so it can be easy to think that he's not paying attention. But when we encourage one another, we are pointing out and demonstrating the love of Jesus. We're putting his generosity, his kindness, his compassion, his thoughtfulness on display. And as we encourage each other, we get a glimpse of our Savior. And nothing, absolutely nothing, stokes our faith and helps us hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Like seeing him. So let's show Jesus to one another. Let's encourage one another. Today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you've given us a reason to hope. That you have sent your son for us. God, help us to continue to encourage one another towards him. Give us eyes to see one another.
Give us ideas to serve one another. Give us the courage to follow through. That none of us might fall away from the living God. Help us to cling to your son. Knowing that he also clings to us. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.